Hi, and welcome to another episode of Startup Stories, where I interview the best and brightest startup founders and experts, so you can be ahead of the curve with your own startup venture. This episode is part of our expert series, in which we interview experts in the startup and business ecosystem, like investors and lawyers. Today, I'm excited to share with you an interview my partner and I did with Michael Siedler from Red Alpine, a seed stage venture capital firm investing in high-tech companies in the field of ICT and life sciences. In our conversation, we cover many of the questions we asked ourselves as founders when it comes to investors. For example, how do you get in touch with investors? How do you keep investors interested in your story? What are the good and the bad sides of having an investor on board? And what are the most common mistakes made by founders when it comes to dealing with investors? We had never met Michael before and the fact that he took the time out of his day to answer our questions just goes to show how serious some investors can be about helping entrepreneurs succeed. And I'm super grateful to have had such an insightful conversation about topics that aren't really talked about enough today. I'm super excited to share this conversation with all of you today. Enjoy! Michael, welcome to Startup Stories. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for taking the time. Sure. Happy to do so. Thank you. This is um, our second or third expert series. You're our second uh, venture capital expert um, on the show. And maybe we can start um, with just you telling us what, uh, what's the fund you work at and uh, yeah, what, what does the fund do? Do you have a focus on, on some, some areas? Right. So Red Alpine has started out as a seed and early stage investor and we stayed true to our focus regarding the phase. Um, we are geographically covering Europe. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, uh, our home turf is Germany and Switzerland. And uh, that's where we do the, the lead investments. That's where we take a lead investor role. Uh, in other European geogra geographies, we uh, do rather a co-investment. Uh, we are quite sector agnostic. So we, we are really brought from fintech through health tech, through even almost biotech. Um, in the end, uh, we really want to have the best deals and not necessarily a certain quota in, in a certain sector. Yeah. Just one question that pops on, up into my mind is, so there are funds that are very focused on a sector and some that are very, very agnostic. How does that decision, how is that made? Why, why do some focus and why others not? I mean, obviously, we don't invest in topics that we completely don't understand. Uh, in the end, uh, one of the reasons why we are able to select good deals and to basically also uh, have great exits is because we understand what the field and uh, we can add value. Nevertheless, we have started uh, Red Alpine with a pretty broad experience uh, as a background already. So uh, Peter had a software entrepreneur background and has acted for a number of years as a angel in the tech space and I'm more from the life science side. I, I have experience in that field and uh, but also picked up a number of um, 
experience uh, and, and, and investments on the tech side during my time as an angel. So we already had a pretty broad uh, field that we were addressing. Over the years, we have started to add additional fields of expertise. Um, and uh, for example, in the, the, the blockchain field or in the software as a service field or fintech, whatever, you know, the environment is developing and technologies are popping up. And we are, of course, also moving in the field and, and learning. So in the end, it's a, a, a mixture of what we already have in our backpack as experience and what we acquire on the way forward. Right. And so you just said you obviously invest in, in topics that you know something about so you can add value um, to the to the founders. It's always it's always a topic, you know, is it just cash that I get from an investor or, you know, is it, is it just uh, or is it also yeah support? Um, how does Red Alpine, how do you support founders um, apart from the, the, the funding? Yeah, I think I can I can really say it in a in an analogy. Um, if something uh, we want to be the first phone call that the founder makes if something very positive or negative happens, right. so we want to be really the first um, line of 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 uh, inquiry or the sparring partner for all matters we always in our lead investment uh, roles we always sit on the board um, you can also say that uh, in analogy with the football game the team plays but we stand on the sideline and shout yeah. into the game we don't interfere with the game but we really try to support as much as we can it's not the case that we have all the knowledge in the world uh, and we can solve all the problems, but we have a network of more than 100 um, entrepreneurs that all have their entrepreneurial story and, and, and experience, and we can bring that network to the table. And with that, we can solve every problem um, uh, that, that occurs. Right. Very cool. Do you happen to have an example where you could help out in some kind of problem without naming any companies? Sure. Um, I mean, the problems are extremely broad. Sometimes you need to hire uh, like a, a key person. Yeah. So we reach out to our network and try to find the, like, like a chief marketing officer or whatever. And, and uh, then we can try to find that. Sometimes uh, companies need support in finding investors because we over the years have built up a very dense network of follow-on investors yeah. uh, also globally uh, in the US and in Asia and in Europe. For us it's easy to reach out to these investors. Uh, sometimes uh, they need really strategic support. Uh, I get phone calls uh, just yesterday I had a phone call with a company that really wanted to discuss the situation with a distribution partner, mm -hmm. uh, what kind of strategic option they should now take. So they really use us as a sounding board um, yeah. and that's extremely helpful for the, yeah. for the founders. And for us, of course, it's a way to create a lot of value. Yeah, I can see how that's very valuable. Yeah. So if I'm a founder and I have this super cool idea, I've been working on it and at some point, I think about uh, should I approach a VC or not? Um, 
and then we or we also heard it from other founders they raised the question of is my is my case a, a case for VCs is it scalable enough for VCs how do I know when it is a case for VCs Yes, so that how do you know if it's a case for a VC? In the end, I guess a VC is looking for uh, the earlier the phase, the the more uh, he's looking for a multiple, and I guess uh, that's pretty simple, uh, at least in our situation. If we do a seed investment and we don't see a possibility to achieve in in a good case a multiple of twenty times the money, then we probably don't do it. Right. Um, so like for example if the, the valuation is at around 5 million and uh, then uh, you don't see that there ever is a possibility for an exit of 100 million of the company then most likely the case is not scalable enough that's a pretty simple rule of thumb yeah um, and that's just as you just assume a certain you project a certain certain things that happen because how, how could you know you know how the company's going to do you, you, can't, you can't you can't you, you can't I mean in the end um, it's really you have to look at the case uh, with let's say experienced eyes and you can say then uh, has does this case have the possibility to get sold at, at, at 100 million uh, because of the vision that the team has, because of the market, because of the product. Uh, so you can really make this kind of an assessment uh, like in five minutes yeah. by looking at the market and the products and the pricing and stuff. And, and then uh, you, you, you're pretty, pretty fast in assessing that. Mm-hmm. Having said that, um, the major driver of success of these kind of uh, early stage companies is really 60 to 70 percent the quality of the founding team. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it's not necessarily. I mean, even if the the case, the business case, and the the market and the technology has the potential to generate this multiple of 20x. Um, it still very much depends on the quality of the founders. Um, and so therefore, uh, we have to be sure if there is a theoretical possibility to achieve this kind of multiples, then we have to uh, ask the second question, which is even more important. Is the jockey going to be able to ride that horse yeah. and basically to... Um, end up winning the race or just getting to the goal in, in the race. That's that's the much more important question, actually. How do you evaluate? I mean, I assume if you're early stage, you will have a lot of young founders. How do you evaluate if a young founder, you know, it doesn't have 20 years of experience in the field um, and and the other founders as well, co-founders, if, if they're a good team? Yeah, it's an extremely good question, very legitimate. If, if of course, uh, we say that uh, the most important factor is the quality of the founding team, then the quite logical question is, how do you assess that? And uh, by, by no means uh, you can go into a data room and read the CVs of these people and then say it's a good or a bad founding team. That just doesn't work. Mm. 
What we have figured out, we want to be able to follow these founders for a long stretch of time. So ideally, we get to know the people um, way before they really need and want money from us, mm -hmm. such that we can follow the case to see the, do they have entrepreneurial talent, how do they deal with potential customers, uh, potential investors, uh, how do they deal with uh, you know, team members. So just to figure out, do they get things done? That's, that's really very important. Um, and by doing that, by following, following the team, you can start to build something like a curve, a performance curve, or a, we call it a movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, if, you, if you see that curve, and, and then you have to take a decision, where could this go? You can extrapolate the curve into the future. Some people just look at a snapshot and not the movie and they say, okay, here is a team, here is a product, here is a market, uh, there is an investment opportunity, do I want to invest or not? And by seeing the snapshot, of course, you can. The, the, it's not really possible to extrapolate the, the future. Right. So therefore, for us, it's very important to, follow, to be able to follow the, the mm. people and the team. And it's not possible for ourselves you know, the team here at Red Alpine to, uh, in our core markets, to follow all the teams because exactly. these would be thousands of teams. In that respect, we very much rely on our network. So we have a very dense network in, in our core markets of like-minded investors, entrepreneurs, uh, former co-investors, all of these kind of people. and they sometimes do the same thing and if they share a deal with us uh, and they like the deal and it's pre-qualified through our network then for us it's extremely important uh, to get that and then we we really board a plane in the next day and try to to be yeah. there and to, to see if that's really an interest interesting case right so as a so as a startup team you should start you know sharing the story early on and share the milestones you reach. At, at what point should you start? Like the, you have your first customer and then you start contacting investors saying, I don't need money yet, but I just want to share my movie with you. Yes, that's, it. that's exactly right. Uh, I think you, you already got the essence. Um, it's very important. Uh, I think this is a big distinction you have to make as, a, as an entrepreneur you for us at least it's never too early mm -hmm. but it's a matter of expectation management if you reach out and you you want to tell me listen i have a fantastic company and and you should consider it as an investment case and then we look at the company and we figure out oh it's way too early or it's nowhere near uh, you know uh, ready to be invested then you you may sort of uh, risk to to damage the the, the, the relationship or at yeah. least uh, to at least you would have a it would generate a disappointment yeah if you reach out to somebody some, some investor and it's only a five minute interaction um, and you um, say hello this is me I just want to show you what I'm doing mm -hmm. exactly to basically show the movie yeah 
such that uh, we the, our relationship is already established when we then are coming back for money. Yeah. That's a completely different uh, situation. I think that's exactly the right thing to do. Right. This is this is really crucial. I think everybody should start to do that uh, from a very very early point in time. Yeah. And I think many people with the scientific background hesitate to do so because they need to go out and sell something they don't have yet. Mm. And this right. is one of the most important skills you have to develop as a founder. Right. Going out, selling a vision, something you don't have yet. It's, it's about storytelling. Yeah, and they don't teach you that at uni. They don't teach you that at all. That. And especially if you're coming from a scientific field, if you go out and tell stories about things that you have no data for, mm. you basically commit career suicide. So uh, it's really, it's really, really mm. tough uh, to to go out and be very enthusiastic about something uh, you will do in the future. Mm. But yeah. only by doing that, you will also generate the interest of investors. Yeah, I just watched this. Uh news thing about Elizabeth Holmes. I don't know if you know about her. Absolutely, yes. She did that. <laughs> she's yes. In, she's in prison now, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, she did even much more. She did yeah, she not, even, not even sell uh, the future what they're going to achieve. I mean, that's, that's really the problem. You have to be bold enough to go and sell the future. But if you're not getting there, you have to be honest enough yeah. to also admit that. Yeah. And in her case, she sold the future and was not able to backpedal when it didn't work. And so they really went into uh, just fraudulent activities yeah. in the end. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. she kept lying. I would ne not encourage anybody. <laughs> no, that's a very bad example. <laughs> yeah. I just looked at some videos yesterday. Yeah. So is Elizabeth Holmes. Um, for us as founders, I mean, the, the VC world in investor side is, is like a black box when you start out. Um, and so the question, there's also, also the question, always the question, is there, are there some bad sides to having investors on board? Uh, are there some, yeah, maybe, it's a tough question for, to ask an investor. Um, but maybe you you can share something about that. What are some some disadvantages or, or things founders really need to consider before you know thinking before contacting investors? All right. So no, no. This is uh, this is a very good question, and I'm happy to answer that. Um, it's like always in life. Um, everything has two sides, and if you have a good investor aboard, uh, you can absolutely create magnificent uh, success and, and, uh, and create values. Yeah. But if you have a, let's say, troublesome investor in your company, it can be absolutely the contrary. Yeah. It can actually be hell. Uh, it's, the, the, it's really problematic because in the end you engage uh, the investor and the, the founders in, in a contract and in a situation that is almost like getting married uh, but it's even worse because uh, there is no divorce procedure and um, you have to be able to be in the same organization or household or whatever and create something meaningful yeah. and if the interpersonal relationship does not work out it's really 
absolutely uh, detrimental. I mean, you can uh, destroy the, the company. Yeah. Um, so therefore, having, having mentioned that, I think I would always encourage the founders to also do their due diligence. Mm. So when you talk to an investor, go out and figure out what other investments uh, has he done or she, and then go and ask them. Yeah. How is it to work with them? Uh, is it, uh, do they add value? Uh, how is it in the board situation? And so on. So it's absolutely crucial to do that. First thing. Second thing, try to create a situation in a, in a fundraising round where you can choose. So yeah. if, if you have one option and you have to go with that option, then of course that's quite a bad situation. If you are able to generate enough interest in your um, fundraising round such that you can choose, then I would always go for chemistry mm -hmm. and have that as the most important selection criteria over valuation and all the other terms. So, because you can, if you if you have a fantastic valuation, but an idiot in the board, uh, it's really tough life. And if if you sacrifice a little bit more in in, in your share of your shares in the dilution, and you have a fantastic working relationship, that you will go much further, and you will be much more successful by doing so. And life is much more fun as well. <laughs> so, so therefore, it's absolutely crucial. Not only when you recruit co-founders or, or, or uh, other, other people for your company, it also to basically get the right investor support. Yeah. How, how does this, this uh, getting to know each other work? Do you just work together on the, on the case? Or do you, I mean, go for beers? Go for beers or go for dinner or what, what is it? The go for beers is absolutely important. Yeah. Uh, it's not only, the, let's say, the all this to talk about the company and, and about the facts and blah, blah, blah. It's also getting to know the people behind and therefore, of course, doing go for dinner, go for beers, go for whatever, skiing. Uh, I think that can really help a big deal. Yeah. Um, and I would absolutely yeah, encourage to do that. Um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I mean that's one of the reasons why people say it takes so long to to raise funds as well. I mean that's one of the reasons because you are or actually that's exactly why you should go out and talk to them way before you need the funds. Yeah, because then you have built up relationships with with maybe five or ten potential investors, and once you start to go out and raise the funds. Then it can be really quick because mm. uh, you know the people, they know you, you have built up a, a mutually trustful relationship, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. And, and, and at least in our situation, if you then come back and you say, look, I'm, I'm raising now 3 million, uh, that's the conditions, um, then it can be extremely rapid, this, this investment round. Mm. Yeah. So okay. it, the, the, you're absolutely right. If you have not invested the time to get to know the investor beforehand then doing the fundraising round can take really long yeah that's because 
there is a certain speed at which you build up a trustful relationship with another exactly. human. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's difficult to accelerate that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Mm. I see how that can, can help to contact earlier. So some founders make the mistake, they, they just go out when they need money. Yes. And that's obviously too late. What, what's the most common mistake apart from that that you see founders do again and again? Yeah, they go to they go out too late, but also I guess, uh, and that's quite related with that. They believe they need to build the Rolls Royce in the garage and can only roll it out once it's finished. Mm -hmm. And what you should do basically is you should already go out there with the plans of that Rolls Royce that you want to build. Yeah, um, and talk about it as I said before. To, to already talk about it way early. That's one of the biggest mistakes. Uh, another very big mistake is that founders believe that fundraising is really a very annoying job and you have to get it done and when it's done, it's done. It's a complete illusion. Uh, it's never done because yeah. after the round is before the next round yeah. and uh, as we just said, you should go out and talk to investors when you don't need the money. Yeah. Because when you need it, then you're with the back against the wall and the terms will be worse. So therefore, I think it's absolutely crucial to embrace fundraising as a core job of a, of a CEO or of, of a founding team and not sort of believe it's an annoying job that you would like to delegate to somebody else. Yeah. You have to love it and do it yourself. Absolutely important. I think one, one thought that helps me is to know that you're speaking to people who want to help. I mean, that's why they, they are investors and they're also, they have so much knowledge uh, of different fields, of your field, and so it's always interesting people. I think many are afraid of the rejection. Um, yes, many are afraid, of, but it. you just have to start with it. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you will get a lot of rejections. I, I say uh, you have to kiss many frogs until you find the prince. Uh, so that's absolutely the case. That's going to be uh, that's going to be the normal normal situation. But again, you know, when you go out and talk to investors before you need the money, in it's it's sort of a, a beneficial situation from both sides. The founders get a lot of interesting information because they can already start to benefit from the experience and the knowledge of the investors. The investor also gets something interesting. Uh, he learns about a new team, technology, case, whatever. So don't be afraid and, and uh, believe you can only go and talk to the investors once you have something extremely meaningful and tangible. You can do that beforehand and you can even get really valuable feedback already then. Mm. Um, and, and on top of that, you also learn which investors are able to provide meaningful, valuable feedback and which don't. Yeah. yeah. I do have a question related to this. So you say, yeah, go out and contact investors. Now, we, we've talked to, to one or two other investors also for the podcast saying cold email is the worst to contact investors. The best is through network um, or directly if you see them at, at an event. How do you do that first step of contacting investors and telling them about the start of your movie? If, because you get, I, the other investor said they get 3,000 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's pitches. Maybe it's different. They get three thousand pitches per year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about, would you? That's that's about. That's not much I can add to that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> one one, one uh, great idea is to say I'm coming coming to interview you for a podcast, <laughs> so <laughs> I can <laughs> get, I can get to know you. I think he got, I think he got us on this one. Damn. <laughs> uh, so so that's that's a smart one. Yeah. But in the end, yes, it's it's really about networking. Yeah. Um, cold emailing is is absolutely uh, not working. Yeah. Uh, cold calling mostly neither. Yeah. Uh, if somebody is really persistent, uh, that sometimes can work, but um, it's much easier to. Uh, as I, I can completely just uh, repeat what you just said. Uh, reach out through the network or meet them at an event. Yeah. I think that's really the, the easiest. Of course, also, if you are able to sort of present your case in front of an audience, like uh, in a pitching competition yeah. or in a, in a startup jury, that's for the startup extremely interesting because by doing so, you can already pitch to uh, a number of investors uh, in, the same, right. in the same crowd and then um, Later on, you may even have the possibility to, to talk to them individually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't miss mm-hmm. those opportunities in the beginning. It it's, uh, costs you a lot of time and effort, but uh, it's well worth to do it. Yeah, just also as a preparation and to get your mind straight on what's our concept yeah. and put it on a pitch deck. Absolutely, yeah. It makes you really think through the whole case, yeah. presenting it in front of others. And, and the rejection that you may fear is actually very helpful because uh, if you get get the same rejection several times, uh, you can be sure that this is something you need to iron out or to change or to adapt. Yeah, it's it's uh, in the end rejection may be painful, but it can really help you to course correct. Yeah, in the end, it's like customer feedback. Yes, and your uh, very is, much so. The pitch, so you want that feedback and negative and and the criticism to to improve it. You're absolutely completely right. You build a product for customers, and your customers in that uh, situation, yeah. the, the ones who pay, are the investors. Exactly. That's completely right. Yeah. So we can jump to our to our last question that we always ask. Um, what's the best book or piece of content that that you know if you consume? content next to the 3,000 pitches you get every year um, that you would recommend to to entrepreneurs? There are a, a number of blogs that I re- regularly read. Um, uh, for example, Chris Dixon, um, a number of these uh, US VCs and bloggers, uh, frequently also through Medium, yeah. uh, that, that, I, that I frequently read. And uh, I think that is, uh, that's probably really, you get information and feedback from what is happening at the forefront of VC and entrepreneurship. Uh, that, that's pretty interesting. Of course, obvious there are the, the normal classical uh, classics in, in that field, like uh, Peter Thiel's book, uh, yeah, Zero to One, Zero to one. Uh, and, and a number of other books. Um, that's interesting and, and sh- should be on every founder's uh, 
let's say nightstand yeah but uh, the blogs really give you an insight in what's going on right now yeah mm-hmm. and what's happening mm-hmm. in in various ecosystems yeah all right cool thank you so much for joining Thanks, the podcast yeah. and all the best for the future of red alpine thank you guys pleasure Thanks. That was it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Startup Stories. Make sure to check out the show notes with additional links at nerdentrepreneurs.com. And if you liked our podcast, leave a review on iTunes. See you on Monday.